No, I'm so <laughs> bored of his movies. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's absolutely peaked. I but. literally watched one I didn't like, and I'm like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Yucca. There are good movies, and there are great movies. But that's not what we watch here, because this is shitty cinema. My brother is coming. We are three film masochists who love to take on the worst movies we can find. Set it around our monthly theme to answer one simple question. Would you watch it again? I'm Jay, and I'm joined by Dave. Hello. And Casey. Space underpants is all I'm going to say. <laughs> Every week, one of us has to pick a movie based on that month's theme. What's this month's theme, Dave? Well, we just finished up Don't Get Probed with the classic film Space Jam. But it is time for a new month and a new theme. So this month, our theme is bookworms. We're looking at movies based on books, <laughs> and holy shit, does this run deep. Hollywood loves buying up properties and then shitting all over them. What are you talking about? The film is yes. always better than the book. Everybody says that. And faster, too. And you burn <laughs> more calories. Yeah. So, Casey, you're kicking us off. What did we watch this week? I brought something that I finally just read the book for last year. So I've watched this movie multiple times. You guys have had to explain the whole thing to me. And I mean, where's my honorary degree? I read the motherfucking book from 1984, the film Dune, starring Daddy Kyle MacLachlan and some other people, including Sting in a cod piece. Absolutely worth sitting through two hours for every single time. I'm really Just excited for, for your thoughts on Sting. All right, Casey, before we get swept into the sand, eh, 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 eh. Before we get sand in our vagina. Or that. You're going to need to give us an elevator pitch where you sell us on this movie in 10 seconds or less. Here's your setup. Your master, Duke Leto, has just been killed. Fortunately, the resistance will live on through Patrick Stewart. In the 10 mm. seconds that he swaddles you in his coat while firing mm. at House Harkonnen... Tell us on this movie. A coming-of-age tale of a man-child that has to save the world with his pee-pee powers in a movie you won't understand unless you read the book. Is it The Desert Air? Is Kyle MacLachlan making me so thirsty? Eight seconds. <laughs> oh, I could go on for two more seconds. <laughs> While my north mouth is sir thirsty, and my south mouth satiated. <laughs> Casey, I really hope you got that still suit cinched up correctly, because otherwise <laughs> you're going to be losing a lot of moisture. I got a super soaker for, I mean, like, I could hydrate people up to 20 feet away. Kyle MacLachlan in 1980. That's the whole reason I picked this film. I now want to see, like... Just the, the same scene, but Casey's in the background in a still suit. And every time Cal McLaughlin walks by, you just see her suit start subtly pumping. <laughs> I look like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow <laughs> Man. <laughs> no, you and Sting kiss. Do some light petting. <laughs> oh, that would He's be the so best beautiful. version of Dune. Is he not? You have to admit, as a mostly heterosexual man... He is perfect. His fucking feathered hair. Oh, my God. Kyle he oh, Casey, he's Casey, this is not a Kyle MacLachlan podcast, and we need to go over the movie that Shitty Cinema watched. If you do have a Kyle MacLachlan podcast and you want a special guest, 
please at me, Casey.cinema <laughs> on Instagram. Fair warning. In many cases, our plots here are a little confusing because we are confused. We're confused people. In this case, if the plot seems confusing, well, the film is generously incomplete. How many pages is the book? A lot. I don't know, 500, 600? It's like yeah, this thing. Yeah, you gotta count. You, you gotta cut a lot. Well, on, Dave's in got In order one. to get it all in a movie. Yeah, tell us, Dave. Dave on the research here. Touch over 500? Uh, yeah, because 530 is into the the definitions, so. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that that's not to say that Dune 1984 isn't a complete film. It is. It's just trying to fit an epic, allegedly unfilmable book into a two or three hour film, depending on which version you watch. There's there's a lot of world building they have to cram in here. Debatable if they got that done or not. <laughs> like trying to do Lord of the Rings in a single film. Probably a bad idea. Right. Are you going to do the Bible as a TV made for TV movie? 90 minutes. I'd like to add a little bit of context that the film doesn't bless us with. Dune is set in a far future, influenced by technology skepticism. There's advanced machinery, but there's no computers or what we would call AI. Instead, those functions have been replaced by people that take a drug called the Spice Melange. This is just going to be like an entire night of torture, not to um actually every third word. I know. In this future, we can warp space and travel pretty much all of the known universe, which is ruled by the Emperor Shaddam. The Spacing Guild, which controls interstellar travel, tells the Emperor that he's got to kill Paul Atreides. Your boy, baby. The Atreides house has recently been given control over Arrakis, which is the only place in the universe they can find that special spice. They're going to Iraq for a weapon of mass spice, would you say? <laughs> Frank, did you know 9-11 was going to happen? This makes Arrakis the most important planet in the universe. So normally it's a big honor, but the Emperor is worried House Atreides will lead a coup. So, to that end, the Emperor commands House Atreides' mortal enemies, House Harkonnen, to take some of his forces and kill House Atreides. The House Atreides is led by Duke Leto. His concubine, Jessica, is a part of the Bene Gesserit, basically a group of desert witches who are engaged in eugenics to produce the Ubermensch. And Lady Jessica and Duke Leto's son is Paul Atreides. Guess who he is? The Ubermensch. The mayor of Portland, not Seattle. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. He's going to be that later. <laughs> so, House Atreides has an internal spy, which lets the House Harkonnen kill the Duke and take over the mining operations on Arrakis. Paul and Jessica escape and are exiled into the sand dunes. The two of them are taken in by the desert people called the Fremen. Paul becomes a warlord in an attempt to avenge his father and retake Arrakis for the Fremen. He even takes a Fremen name and starts going by Paul Maudib. So another thing about the Bene Gesserit is that they've got these dope mind powers, like basically telepathy, and they can dominate people with their voices. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yelling and throwing shit. So <laughs> like any alcoholic mom, essentially. Yeah, But in this movie, they can also make special weapons that allow them to amplify their voice. Paul is trained in this and uses it to train the Fremen to blow up rocks. He also uses it to do some dope guerrilla warfare on House Harkonnen. And I'm so sad that we don't get to see that, but we do get to hear the Emperor yeah. being like, who's this Maudib character and why isn't he dead yet? Paul learns everybody's out for him, so he does the reasonable thing. Paul grabs his best buds, treks out into the desert, and... Takes a huge fucking drink of ayahuasca! I... okay. 
Yes, but no. It's the water of life. It's it's not specifically a hallucinogenic, even if in the movie it very much is a hallucinogenic. That's what I called it, too, the water of life. So it does give him a trip, yes, but it's a trip that's killed every other man who's ever drank it before. Normally, only Bene Gesserit women drink it, and it gives them even stronger versions of their powers. However, this time, Paul survives because he's the aforementioned Ubermensch. His trip reveals two things. One, the aircraft carrier-sized sandworms are the source of the spice melange. And two, his new power is that he can control these fucking aircraft carrier-sized sandworms. With his newfound power, Paul attacks the Harkonnens. And by attacks, I mean he just fucking wipes the floor with both of the Harkonnens (laughs) on the planet. It's barely a contest. After winning the battle, Paul flexes his new power and makes it rain on the desert planet. Oh, he's got more power. Not with money, with wet. (laughs) FYI. Yeah, 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 yeah. like water rain. He's not just throwing credits around. He's not Lil Wayne. Aaliyah, Paul's sister, is technically two, right? Uh, Around, maybe a little bit less, because Jessica was pregnant. When they got captured or joined forces with the um, Bremen. Yeah. Bremen. And then it's even longer because she just has to drink the water of life in order to become their Bene Gesserit bitch. No, she drinks the water of life while she's pregnant. That's right. why Aaliyah That's, is pregnant. Yeah, but there's a there's a time in between meeting the Fremen and, and then the her drinking the water of life. They travel with yeah. them for a while. Yeah, yeah she so. Was, she was only a little pregnant when she got on the ship and they crashed it. She wasn't six months Nicolas Cage pregnant. <laughs> yeah. She was probably like three months along. Yeah. Because so we have sense and okay. reason. In I don't remember universe. how long the time skip is between Paul going to the desert and them coming. Is it two years? So yeah, she two would years. be yeah, it's two years. She would be two, maybe two and a half. But she maybe. grows super fast. That was part right. of the problem with drinking the water of life. Is she like grew bigger in the womb? She was premature because she was ready to just bust out and skin suit Jessica. So she's growing really fast, and apparently she has a speech impediment because she's her palate is still super soft and it wigs everybody in the book out really bad. They make sure to mention that shit multiple times. Yeah, that would wig me out too. But she's like a her in the body of like a six year old or a four year old. I don't know. I don't know kids. Yeah, they age the character up pretty dramatically for the movie. But I think it would have been even more disturbing to have a fully conscious two year old. Right. Look at Twilight and the baby in Twilight. All right. The CGI baby, everyone. And that's when we, I mean, have much better special effects. That upset a lot of people. For the listeners, Aaliyah is this two-year-old in age, but she's in the body of a four, six-year-old, something like that. But she also has all of the memories and powers of a fully grown adult that knows like the entire Benny Gesserit history because of her mother drinking the water in the womb. I think she has all of her mom's knowledge. So all of her mother, Jessica's knowledge is passed down into this two year old. So like she's known what the fuck is. She's had been fully conscious since in utero. The moment of, yeah, in utero. And I think drinking the water causes her to be born like immediately faster. She grows. She rapidly grows. Okay. Dave question. So you've read more of the books than I have. So many. Uh, when Aaliyah drinks the water of life and she rapidly grows, so she's born early, she looks like she's like six when she's two, yada, yada. Yeah. Does that continue through the rest of her life? Is she like a 10-year-old and she's like a 45-year-old Robin Williams? 
Uh, on the no. outside? No, not particularly. She she, she just she grows to maturation grows faster. To, yeah, she grows to maturation faster. Um and it has Women nothing to do with this movie, than but men. just as a like glimpse of what's coming down the road, she gets possessed by the spirit of Baron Va- Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who takes over her body. Does she rape boys in it? She does not. She eventually, oh thank God, um, you know, gains her body back long enough and uh, gets killed. She kills Baron Harkonnen in this as a child, which is also gangster. She's also one of the creepiest and most disturbing parts of this film. Because- I mean, she can get a tattoo tear before she gets to kindergarten. Fuck yeah, girl. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the character of Aaliyah in this movie was one of the most terrifying goddamn things I had ever seen when I first watched it. Uh, and that character, among many of the other insane things we're going to be talking about tonight, is what made me fall in love with this movie and launched me into reading so many of these goddamn books. Really? It was Aaliyah? Uh, I, it was this movie, and I watched Dune 1984 well before I had watch, read the book or gotten into any of it. Oh! I watched Dune 1984 many, many times, actually, before I ever read the book. Really? So how close were you on knowing what the fuck was going on when you read the book? Like, oh my for the God. first time? It, it definitely... close? Not particularly. When I read the okay. book for the first time, no, I still didn't really know what the fuck was going on just from watching the movie because the movie only gets a very little tiny slice of the book and it changes a lot of what's in there. Yes. Okay. So the first time I watched this was with you guys like 10 years ago and I really, really enjoyed it, but I had no idea what was going on, but I really liked pausing it like every five minutes and then asking a question and then you guys explaining to me for 10 minutes <laughs> as what was going yeah. on. Yeah. But I still like, so I don't know if everybody feels this way. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are absolutely baffled by this film, but I love watching this. Even again, I just read the book last year, so I've seen this a few times without any context I think it is a visually stunning masterpiece. I think there it's a labor of love. It there's so much going on. The set design is fucking gorgeous. It's like space um Gatsby like art deco themed. There's a little bit of like 80s-ish kind of flair especially with the outfits. Or, but like, or the special effects when it comes to the shield suits that Paul uses when he's sparring with Patrick fucking Stewart. Just mm. saying. Mm. And you know what? If you're going to try to stab Patrick Stewart, he wants you to go slow because that's how you penetrate his shield, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You got go it. Slow. slow. Spit on your knife. The aesthetics of. Dune, the book, is really, really difficult to try and translate to a movie. It's been done a bunch of times. Um, And 1984 Dune, I think, came up with a really, really cool, unique way of doing that. Even if they did make some weird choices and some new aesthetics that they were going to add into the Dune universe. I also like that this is a space-themed movie that has been released in a post-Star Wars world. And it doesn't feel like a Star Wars knockoff. Not at all. No, I don't, absolutely not. Absolutely I not. I don't think of Star Wars at all when I watch Dune, even though it is a space western. Yeah, I. That, one of the things uh, that really has made this such a cool, uh, compelling IP for me is that Dune is is like feudalism in space. 
um, yeah. as opposed yep. to like you know, the normal like futuristic society. And that does kind of harken back to some earlier sci-fi of the like Flash Gordon era. I think one of the great things about the feudalness is that we often associate feudal times with large distances in the same space of like Westerns. And so there's this, often a lot of emptiness as armies travel to meet and space does that really well because it's a bunch of emptiness. So it, it, it fits the feudalism aesthetic super great. And especially so when you bring in the wild ass aesthetics that, that David Lynch decided to go with, decided to go with such as Victorian elaborate Victorian costumes paired with golden walls and all set in these weird mechanical pyramids which was a choice yeah it some it was one part gatsby one part great and powerful oz one part jim henson with some of the like puppetry of the navigator who's like a big worm with arms kind one of part, dude one part a walk like an egyptian music video yeah, this is a lot of a lot of flavors in one pot, but honestly, it works for me. Dave, okay, got a question for you. Yes. What version did you watch? Did you watch the extended or the theatrical? So this time I watched the theatrical. Us so did too. We. And I'm really disappointed because I feel like some of Sting's um scenes got cut in that one. Interestingly, David Lynch has disowned the extended cut, and it is uh uh, Alan Smithy film, or there's another name he asked people to put on it at one point. Um, but uh, but David Lynch, I guess, has not disowned the theatrical cut. And we sort of made the decision, Casey and I, the theatrical cut is about an hour shorter. And we thought, ah, let's watch the David Lynch in, uh, um, version. I don't know. It's been, I almost always watch the extended cut. It's been a very long time since I watched the original. Dave, question for you then. Which film version is your favorite which like tv series counts but filmed version of dune is your favorite man it's it, for me it is absolutely still this one dune 1984 um theatrical yes. or extended cut probably the theatrical cut the extended oh! cut has some really cool stuff in it but also okay i'm gonna be really controversial here um the voiceover from the princess it uh, at the start of this movie does an incredibly good job of concisely giving a ton of backstory on the Dune universe. Yes. Agree. Yeah. Okay. It's Agreed. one of the few times she keeps it tight. She keeps it concise. Virginia Madison, bless your heart. You fucking nailed it. That's like 150 pages of world building that she just put into maybe a minute and a half of voiceover. It's really, really tightly done. Yeah. And I guess if you're going to pin us with some voiceover, Give us a shit ton of, of information in, a, in a short time. Whoever wrote that should have been an editor to Frank Herbert. <laughs> Let me just clean this script up for you a little bit. Dune there, novellas. Yeah, absolutely. Dune is guilty. Uh, Dune the book is guilty of a crime that a lot of sci-fi and fantasy does where they, they feel a need to needlessly replace words. Where, you know, when you get to that point yeah. where somebody is like, oh, I can't have yeah. a character say, oh, geez, because Jesus doesn't work and doesn't exist in this universe. You can. Okay, let's talk about some of the made up shit in this book slash movie. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 
Because Princess Irulan does a good job in that voiceover of not using all the made-up words. And then the movie's going to throw a lot of that out the window and use a all the made-up words. A lot of that. All the made-up words. What's your least favorite made-up word in this? Oh, easy. Quisats Hatterack. Same. Did I say it right? Same. It makes me, yes. Quee. Quisats. Quisats. Quisats Hatterack. Like Quisants. Nicolas. Hatterack. Head, headache. <laughs> Cuisant headache. Yeah. I get headaches if I don't have cuisants. That's the name of the Ubermensch, which is Kyle McLaughlin's character, Paul Atreides, Paul Madib. But it's it's a fucking awful mouthful. And every time they say it, I'm like, I don't. Why would you say something like that? If you look at it written on a page, it looks like someone trying to come up with like Jewish gobbledygook that doesn't actually know any Jewish people. And your then Jewish the name cat of a fish. walked across your keyboard. Like Hatterack, I know that's a fish. Mm-hmm. That's some type of fish. I think my least favorite made up word is going to be melange, the name of the spice, even though it's a really good name, just because the movie barely uses it. So why, why bother coming up with another name if everybody's just going to call it spice anyways? Shut up. My rap name is going to be Nikki Melange. <laughs> Done. Next. Oh, I also don't like Benny Gesserit. It sounds like a slur and I can't explain why, but it, I think it's like, it sounds like something like a slur Bitch, for the Roma me? people. Like, I don't me? like it. In universe, it's what? definitely one of those words that if you just put a little stank on it, it comes across as a slur. <laughs> Benny Gesserit witch. Right. Like there's there's definitely people in the Dune universe that can say Benny Gesserit and you hear the witch on the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they are eugenicists. Like straight up. That's their whole yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I guess if you're going to pick a, a group of people to pick on, they're not they're not totally innocent. Oh, yeah. No, they right. totally deserve it. Their entire shtick is to breed the Ubermensch. And, and Jessica was forbidden from having a son and was ordered to have a daughter and she had a son instead and that was Paul and he becomes the Ubermensch. Yeah. Also, it feels like they, because they have no hair, they look like those hairless cats but if they were old women. Yeah, oh man, that's a great- That were racist and controlled the universe. (laughs) And arranged marriages for you. Uh, Jessica was actually supposed to have a daughter that was going to be wed to Sting's character, and then their kid was would be the Ubermensch. Oh, that's why the the uh, or that's why the the big boss lady, the Bene Gesserit, was so mad at the beginning of this because they've been working on this eugenics program for thousands of years, and Jessica ninety just generations it up at the last stage. That's right. I knew that. I knew that she was supposed to have a daughter to marry the um, uh, I guess Sting's character. I did not know. That that character was supposed to be the Ubermatch. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They've been working on this plan for thousands and thousands of years, and Lady Jessica was like, "Nah, my man wants a son. I gotta do it." Okay, so her rage is a little more explicable then, because she's big mad in the beginning, and I was like, "I don't get why you're that mad." Like, nah. Which also, I guess ah. we should give the additional context that the movie really doesn't. That Ben and Jess would have the ability to control if and when they get pregnant, as well as the sex of their child. Among other things. Among, among, yeah, among other things, especially God, when you get deeper into the books. Oh, really? I mean, in this, they have telepathy. At one point, yeah, Jessica's yeah. in another room reading people's minds. Or not Jessica. The Benny Gesserit that the Emperor keeps. 
Uh, she's in another room reading people's minds. They command people with their voice. Yeah, so they've got the voice, which lets them, like, order people to do things. Take out the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. I'll be right back. I got to take out the trash. Don't talk to me with my headphones in at the gym. Uh, so it's not actually telepathy. Oh, yeah. The the Bene Gesserit had a little, at the beginning there, she had a little peephole so that she could watch the meeting. Um, oh. So and then she was basically reading them off of body language, and they have an ability called truth saying that lets them know when people are lying or not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Can they do that to the navigators? Uh, it's unclear. Yeah, it's, it's very, very rare that even the Bene Gesserit actually meet the navigators. The navigators are the people who fly the ships they use to get across the universe. They're basically dudes that have been bathing in spice for so long that in this movie they've turned into... Like giant melted candle babies. Melted candle babies. They're almost like fish-like, but instead of, um, they have like a giant, weird, distorted, deformed head that almost looks like a crang head, but giant with the eyes on the side and weird vagina mouths with a slit in the center. I don't know. Yeah, it's not a vagina. It's definitely a prolapsed anus. It's a we prolapsed anus pink mouth. Flamingos. Yeah, we'll it. Remember when it God, sang um, bow, bow, yeah, but, um, bow, bow? Yeah, I'll never unsee that or not see that when that song comes on. Thank you. See, I was going to say the very end of an elephant's trunk, you know, where they pick stuff okay. off with. Yeah, sure. but if. That's less distorted. Yeah. It's less it, disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's pro, Again, the PA. navigators are another really, really disturbing creation in this movie that's really uncomfortable to look at and gives you the vibe of how weird this universe is very goddamn well. Yeah, it's a it's a weird piece of puppetry. That's where Casey's Jim Hensonness comes in. In one yeah. part is the fucking navigators, and they're creepy. They just make you feel uncomfortable, and their eyes are always just moving. In the Dune film, the navigators can warp space, and so they travel. In the books, it's not that way. They they have ships that can warp space, and the navigators are the only ones that can navigate the speed because they can. They're prescient. They can see a bit like into the future. Um, but in this, they actually fucking warp space, and which makes God. them wild. I wonder if the navigators are of the Cage bloodline from Next. <laughs> like he's the source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is the far far sequel to Next. So in Nick Cage's bloodline, all of the navigators come from that. Everybody knows that. Tell me you haven't read the books without telling me you haven't read the books. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, this was aesthetically all over the place. Like you said before, you have like an art deco space puppet sand bodysuits, like puffy oh, body it looked like Kanye oh, made a slutty bodysuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it's all over the place. And it bums me out. That again, like you said earlier, this wasn't like a three-part movie, so you could really tell the different, the why everything's so fucking insane and smushed together. Spending time on Caladan, seeing how like gorgeous that was, I wish we could have got a little more than of that. One of the most important parts of the book, I feel like they cut out, was the dinner that um, Duke Leto and Paul and Jessica all have with people that have gone to Arrakis before them and some people that live on Arrakis and them kind of like feeling out where they're at politically with these people. It's a tense yet fake casual dinner. And I feel like we got cheated that they skipped that. 100%. Um, 
I, I, Especially I said, with Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, I said Dune 1984 is my favorite version, and I'll stand by that. But if there's anything that I do like about like the sci-fi series or the modern movie, even though part two hasn't come out yet, it's just that we do get more time in these other locations because they are multi-part uh, you know, things. This is so, a rich universe. This is not a slap together. Yeah, there's just so much to try and get across that when you're trying to get through it in even two hours... Is just it's it's a fool's errand. You can't do it. My understanding is David Lynch originally wanted to do a three to four hour film, and the studio hacked it down, and then tacked more on. But then he was not thrilled with the tacked more on version and disowned it. That definitely checks out. I would have loved to have seen, like you said, a multi part version of this. Um, because yeah. the the not not only how well they do the effects in this movie, but the variety of them that they do in this movie. There's uh, you know, there's CGI for the uh the shields. There's uh <laughs> there's beautiful matte paintings with yeah. miniatures yeah. um or with oh, perspective yeah. shots to show people within them. Um, there's just, there's so many different styles of filmmaking at use in this, and it's just gorgeous in every single frame. Can I say something positive that might not be well received? I really liked the whispering to get across either mind communication or thoughts. And is there a shit ton of it in this movie? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. 90% of this. I just had to explain this today. This woman whispered to me. I let. She's like, I like your pants. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I whispered that. I was like, that's okay. My husband's had a sore throat for three days, and we just watched Dune. So I've been whispering <laughs> for days. So like, it's it's all good. I thought maybe I did something to trigger it in you. Um, yeah. I had no voice when we watched this, and I could only whisper. We Everything got real dramatic that night. Um, is, there, is this movie like 70% whispering? Yes. Absolutely. But... Yeah. The alternative is getting something like a book to movie like The Hours where there's no internal monologue. And that's what 90% of The Hours is. Like, Dune without the inner thoughts. And that's the only thing that kind of explains what the fuck is going on is their inner thoughts and communication with each other. Yeah. That's actually uh, one of the things that for a while people thought Dune was unfilmable is because so much of the book is just the internal monologue of the characters. Not out loud. Yeah, it's just them thinking about stuff. If you make the lines, it's Mm. hard to A, make them natural for the character and B, not come off like we're watching an anime like oh no, you pulled out your purple sword and your purple <laughs> sword is extra dangerous because it's filled with spice. Right, real real hard to come up with a good way of doing an internal monologue externally. Dune 1984 made the infamous choice, I guess, to just hold on the shots of the character staring dramatically off screen while they whisper thought their entire internal monologue. Okay, but in defense... It kind of adds to the tension of the film because the book itself is a bit of a political thriller. Hold on. Hold on. I have a question. Yeah. What order were they the scenes filmed in? Right. Did they make Kyle McLaughlin sit in a sound booth and whisper his lines (laughs) and then sit him down and play them to him? Or did they film him and then have him sit down and lay down his lines? I feel like to 
make sure he had the proper context. He knew the lines that would be whispered over the scene. But I do love the idea that they just yeah, sat I him like down and are like, better. all right, stick your hand in this box and like act like it really hurts. Something would happen and then it would just linger on him for a while while he's like looking dramatic. If you were to take out the whisper track and just put in organ music, it would be a great way to end a soap opera. Like you could roll credits over that mug while he's just like staring tensely off screen. Did Brenda just tell her him that she's pregnant or did he find out he's been cheating with the mailman the whole time? I'm not going to lie to you. My next plan after this is to make a music video. I'm going to take Darude's Sandstorm and just cut up Dune 1984. You have a problem. You have a problem. It's not okay. Unless it's all just the two-second loop of Sting in his codpiece bikini. Casey, I'm surprised that you've spent so much time pining over Kyle MacLachlan when Sting, practically naked Sting, is in this. In fact, let me tell you a little story. Originally, Sting was supposed to be nude for that scene, and it was last minute that that they constructed that codpiece for him. Why? Why would you deny us Sting full frontal? Why would you give him that Wonder Woman cod piece that you did to go over it? Because that thing, that that bitch has wings coming off the side of it. Yeah, it really. They were made out of solid metal. Can you imagine putting pants on You can't over that? sit down. You can't sit in a chair. That's probably to keep his uncle off of him, honestly. Oh, yeah. It's a gotcha oh, guy. Yeah, Baron Harkonnen? Yeah. So Baron Harkonnen. I don't want to talk about him yet. Wait a second. Yeah, I just had sting in a cod piece. Bring it Let's... back to center. Bring it back to center. Ladies and gentlemen, he is keeping it tight. He's looking like Billy fucking idol with like mm-hmm. red hair. So <laughs> if you're into a tinge of the ginge, you are going to love this shit. Stepping out of a steam bath. Out of a steam bath. I swear to God in the extended cut, there was more of him half naked Maybe I think not. There might have Maybe been a couple more shots. Yeah, I feel like he was. There was a fighting scene when he was like. Maybe that was just in my mind. Anyway, <laughs> I think that was. He is the murderous fade, and I wish he would have got more time. I reading the book, he gets. There's a lot more of him in it. I've never seen Sting in another acting role, but I feel like he did a good job coming off as a deranged. I kill for fun, psychopath, hard body. Yeah, the the Harkonnens are terrifying characters. Um, and it's a difficult yeah. character to do and not have it be cartoonish. Um, because they are just so clearly beyond They're murderers, evil. rapers. They're fucking terrible people. Uh, and Sting pulls it off really, really well. He comes across as this, like incredibly dangerous sadist and it's just it, it it's creepy it's sexy and it works yeah it's very less creepy clockwork orange much hotter that's an interesting comparison i think of the cod I can piece we're going there the I ultra can see violence okay yeah unfortunately sting is not the big baddie in this no. baron harkonnen is mm. the ultimate pile of poo poo and they do such a good job of making him unlikable in every way possible i assume this character has to be based off of like frank herbert's old boss or something because (laughs) he is literally just the scum of the universe 
He's this got pustules popping that need to be like milked on his face constantly. He kind of looks like fat bastard if he could fly and had like big face herpes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's so fat that he needs an anti-gravity belt to allow him to be able to get around because he can't move under his own weight at this point. And he just floats around like a megalomaniac. Yeah, just just cackling like a crazy person and pulling heart plugs out of his servants that they're all oh, going to have. Raping, oh, no, raping boys, which is in the book and not in the movie, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully, but the it's, heart plug... It's too close, though. The heart plug scenes... I the, the heart plug scene where he pulls out the guy's heart plug fucking gets me every time. It's uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable uh, apparently if you live if, if you work in the baron vladimir harkonnen's household and you like tend to his plants for him you one have to be his sexy brand of little twink boy that he likes to have around loves a twink yeah and two you have to get a ripcord installed in your chest that he may at any point presumably with a boner grab onto and rip out so he can watch you bleed to death in front of him which is horrifying and sells the character so goddamn well. But Jesus, did I not need to see it? Yeah. Well, why didn't they give him like a George Bush, but he makes paintings to arc? I don't think that would help. It at least attempts that they're making a multi-dimensional character. Sometimes the evil just to be evil. Eh. I feel like I'm splitting hairs here, though. Yeah, I mean, evil just to be evil is fun in its own way. Yeah, the Baron Harkonnen is so absurdly evil that it's it works, in my yeah, opinion. Absolutely. I it, Since you guys have mentioned there's a few things, a few things. There's many things in this movie that if you haven't read the book don't really make much sense. I got to point out one that even if you do read the book, it doesn't make sense. The Baron being covered in disgusting boils and pustules? That's not in the book. You're not going to know shit about that from reading the book or watching the movie. You have to read extra background material. That guy who was milking his boils? He's specifically infecting the Baron with various diseases and shit that give him that. Because the Baron wants him to, like, experiment on his own body with new infectious diseases. What? Yeah. That's something David Lynch talked about at some point and is apparently the lore behind those boils. David. Both Davids. <laughs> Don't say that shit to me. It's really grotesque and it is gross. See, and... I would believe it more if he was testing poisons on him, small doses so that he can't get poisoned. You know what I mean? Because he's in a high position and people are trying to kill him or whatever. Like, yeah, just make me immune to everything. Mm -hmm. Arsenic, I can blow rails of it. Botulism, not todayism. Uh, I do have to criticize one major, major change that David Lynch made for the aesthetics of this movie, though, from the books. And that is the ornithopters, the little ships that they use to fly around on Arrakis and yeah. get around. Because in this movie, they're just kind of like generic spaceshipy-looking things. They can take yeah. off vertically or not. They maybe have some jets under there. But no, they are ornithopters. Ornithopters has a w meaning, and it means they beat their little wings like they're birds or dragonflies. Aww. I want to see that. Think of the animation, the David. Yeah, Think I bet that animation. was a, a limitation of the technology at 100%. the time. I too, though, would have loved to have seen some ornithopters. 
Do they have that in the in the new one? Yeah, the new one has proper ornithopters with like dragonfly style wings that they beat, and they look really, really cool. Ah, I dig that. Oh my god, I can't believe we've been talking this long and no one has let me talk about Patrick motherfucking Stewart, who was just on shitty cinema with Life Force. Yeah, a return. He's back again, baby. 1984's Dune. He's coming in. He's kind of got a skullet. It works. It's fine. Patrick Stewart has, in my opinion, the most iconic shot in Dune. A hundred percent. It's the one I waited to send listener Jesse. Yes. Good. I hope he enjoys it. A hundred percent. Duke Leto had a pet pug that they have in a couple of shots. And after House Atreides is taken over by House Harkonnen, Patrick Stewart leads the resistance and is fucking firing at House Harkonnen with the pug in his jacket. (laughs) What happens to this pug? Give me the pug story. The friend have taken in this pug. What is what's going on? You know, where's the fucking dog? I I don't don't, remember in the book. I don't remember if the pug was even a thing in the books at all, much less where it ended up. If so, that's missing. Such a great shot. Or did that guy just bring his dog to set and was like, no. Yeah. If he stays. Patrick Stewart plays uh, a a, uh, a sort of like general in House Atreides who also trains Paul in how to fight. And he's just the most heroically chivalrous good guy character throughout oh the movie. <laughs> Every yeah. time he sees Paul or the Duke Leto, he's giving a big hearty Patrick Stewart laugh. He's rescuing pugs. He's got one of the greatest lines of all time, which is, Mood's a thing for cattle and love play. <laughs> yes, that's what I was just about to quote. Cattle and love play. Absolutely iconic. Classic line and not in the books either. That's some shit they wrote for this for Patrick Stewart. And holy shit, does it land. Jay, would you would you take spice? Oh, yeah. Wasn't that Absolutely. a drug back in the day? Wasn't that fake weed? Spice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. Okay, I never not did gas that station one. spice, yeah, not, not but would you spice. take... Spice uh, Arrakis. Yeah, absolutely. The the so there's a class of people that take it. They're called the Mentats, and they're like super smart, and that seems fun. That's Sappho juice, which is a different thing. Um, uh, yeah, they're the winos. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. No, the Mentats use Sappho juice, um, which not even all of them necessarily use. The bad one in this movie is a particularly bad one because he's basically a speed freak, constantly dosing on the stuff. <laughs> it, that lets them think real hard real fast and base and act like human abacuses but they don't oh yeah um, that's right they don't that's use melange right. um the bene Gesserit use enhanced versions of it to gain their like prescience power that uh, seems cool yeah there's the navigators which you know i guess that does not being seem able cool. to fold space would be cool but i want to live in a fish tank and look like that. yeah no i don't so want to turn into like a fish thing yeah, i'll pass on that they're icky yeah oh. All of the Fremen are kind of using it because it's in the air around them, but I don't know what it does aside from give them glowy blue eyes. Which is cool, too. Right. I guess I'll, I'll just take the shiny blue eyes. That looks sweet. Casey, would you take the spice? What's my rule? No new drugs after 30. I never did spice under 30. I will not do it now. Sorry, spice. No. Mm. Not for you. What's the hangover like? That's a big know. factor. I have, I have a lot of questions um, Frank didn't answer before I can give that a yes. 
tentative no though all right Dave, I'm going to start with you. I, firstly, I want to say I'm really impressed how little um actually you did this week. <laughs> I see you and Thank I respect you. you. Um, 1984's Dune. I have a feeling I know the answer, but for the people <laughs> at home, would you watch it again? You probably do know the answer because, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to watch this movie what? again. What? Yeah, we're so surprised. I know. I, I love the Dune series because of this movie. I have read all seven of the original books, which were barely worth it, and several of the prequel books, none of which were worth it, because of Dune 1984. And uh, this version is still the version that I see in my head when I'm reading it or uh, when I'm reading it or when I, and it's the version that I compare every other property that comes out to. Uh, despite all of its many, many flaws, what is here, I absolutely adore. So yeah, I'm absolutely going to watch Dune 1984 again. Jay, what about you? I know that this was something you also loved as a kid, but it's been quite a while since you visited the property. So now that you've come back to it again, 1984's Dune, would you watch it again? I was really surprised at how confused I was again by the theatrical cut. I'll be honest with you. I think the extended cut is my favorite version. And I, I'm glad that, that I got to go through the chaos and uh, trying to catch myself up on a, a book and a movie that I hadn't watched in a long time. And understand it, but I I do love so much about this. Kyle MacLachlan and it's great. The story is fun. The aesthetics are wild. There's some peak David David Lynch in this, and I get the shot of Patrick Stewart with a bug firing a fucking rifle. So I loved it. Yes, I'm absolutely going to be watching Dune again. But I think next time it's going to be the extended edition. Casey, what about you? You brought this Dune 1984. Would you watch it again? So I always forget. Or maybe I've just never been awake for like the first 30 minutes of this movie. I swear to God, every time I watch it, it's the first time again. <laughs> I don't know why I never retain any of it. I only remember after we're on Arrakis. Like, I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with me. Someone sciency, please study my brain. Um, It's a little slow. But again, they're just trying to introduce characters and concepts that you'll never make sense of if you've not read the fucking book. There is something charming about the chaos and confusion of this film <laughs> that makes it, I believe, the reason a lot of people get interested in the book afterwards because I, too, watched the movie long before I ever read the book. And yeah, I would I would watch it again. I would have watched it without ever reading the book. But it's such a unique and cool fucking world that David Lynch has brought to life that it it's captivating. It is captivating in the best ways possible. Is it sometimes cheesy? Absolutely. Does it take itself too seriously? Yes, guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. But it's fantastic, and it's a showstopper. So that's the verdict. Three out of three of us would watch Dune again. Not any surprises here. No, not at all. I do it once every year or two anyways, so. <laughs> oh, my God. We should make a Dune day. All right. It, I don't know if we're counting this as a cheap shot or not, but Jay, 
Let's see if you can match a three out of three next week. What are you bringing? Ooh, that's a that's gonna be a tall task for me because I went with a book series that was condensed into a single movie, which is always bodes well. And it's from one of the most prolific authors of our time, Stephen King. I really enjoy this book series. I didn't watch the movie because I really enjoy the book series. But I do enjoy me a little Idris Elba. So next week, we're going to be watching The Dark Tower. So much. You're starting in the (laughs) hole. I already don't want, like, fuck you. I've been avoiding this. Idris Elba, though. Well, homework's not due till next week, Jay. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at Casey.Cinema. Like us on Facebook, sh.ttycinema. Throw us a little spice money, Patreon slash Shitty Cinema, or peepshittycinema.com. Check the show notes for those links, and let's turn out the lights. Drink the water of life. Where's my pug? And go fight Sting in our skivvies. (laughs) 